So we'll talk first about um, just a little bit of the teaching of the church on evangelization and mission, and talk about whose task is it? You know, we talked about St. Francis Xavier, that was one of your questions. In a sense, I'm a Catholic because of St. Francis Xavier, because of the ministry that he started. He came to India in um, the 1600s, uh, 1500s, sorry, 16th century, um, and, and really expanded um, evangelization in the church there. He's said to have baptized 100,000 people in his life. Um, may have been an exaggeration, but that's a lot of baptisms. Um, and it was his, uh, it's thanks to the Jesuits that I actually encountered the Lord and became a Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. I was 21 when I was baptized. So, but it's not the task of just specialists. Whose task is it to evangelize? Um, Talk about what are the, some qualities, or focus on three areas of missionary life that is important for a mission uh, for someone who wants to share the good news. And um, discernment, especially about how, how, what does that look like and what not to do in a sense, what not to do. It's easy to do it wrong, like a lot of things in life, right? And then what can I do right now? What can I start right now in order to live more intentionally as a missionary. Um, and then there'll be some time for questions, dissents, and other um, opinions. Okay? Sounds good? Cool. One document, it's a long document, written by our Holy Father, Pope Francis, in the first year that he was Pope. It's called Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel. It really is a beautiful document. You can like spend time with that. It's not short. He is not known for brevity. Um, it's like 200 pages long or something, um, or 100 pages long. But there's some, there's some great stuff in there. And so Evangelii Gaudium means the joy of the gospel, the joy of the gospel. And he starts out by this. Just listen to this, the very beginning. The joy of the gospel fills the hearts and lives of all who encounter Jesus. Those who accept his offer of salvation are set free from sin, sorrow, inner emptiness, and loneliness. With Christ, joy is constantly born anew. Those who accept his offer are set free from sin, sorrow, inner emptiness, and loneliness. I don't know about you, but I experienced that. I've experienced that my whole life in different points. Sin, sorrow, inner emptiness, and loneliness. And the Holy Father says that those who accept Christ's offer, gift, of this thing we call salvation, are set free from that, are set free on a path that moves towards replacing that, if you will, or filling that sin, sorrow, inner emptiness, loneliness, with joy, with joy. And it's joy that comes from that encounter, that stumbling upon, bumping into, coming into contact with Jesus Christ, who is not dead, who is alive. And that's the basic proclamation of faith of the church, that Christ is not a figure of the past like Plato or Abraham Lincoln or any of the other people that we study, but he is alive. He is alive, he lives, he reigns, and he is present in all kinds of amazing ways to us. And if we enter into that relationship with him, we're filled with joy. We're set free. Christianity is a 
is, is an encounter with freedom, with liberation. Liberation from that which holds us back from what we are truly meant to be, who we are truly meant to be. That's how he starts out. He continues, the great danger in today's world is desolation and anguish. Desolation and anguish. Right? If you think about times right now, I think about COVID and, and just, just like the amount of loneliness, desperation, mental health, all kinds of challenge. We've seen that come to the fore when everything, ordinary life in a sense, has been suspended. A thing that, that we are called to do, that we want to do as human beings, that is be together, we're not able to do that. And so it, this is really accentuates and highlights that desolation anguish. The great danger in today's world, that desolation anguish, which is born of a complacent yet covetous heart, covetous means it desires things, wants to manipulate things, grasp them, born of feverish pursuit of frivolous pleasures, YOLO, you only live once, so go and just get one experience after another, and even better if you can get it nicely framed up so it can go on Instagram, right? feverish pursuit of pleasure, and a blunted conscience. I decide what's right, what's wrong, doesn't matter what my heart tells me, at the deepest level. And if you think about it, I mean, so much of our life and so much of the way we look around in the world, people might look like they're having an awesome time, but if you sit down and scratch under the surface, people aren't happy, they're lonely, they're searching for meaning. They're searching for, like, what is this whole thing about? And the promise that we have, that we've been given, and we need to be constantly reminded of it as well, because we also are drawn away and fall into all of these things, is that with Jesus Christ, life is something amazing. It's like life goes from black and white to color. Right? In this life, the Holy Father continues, there is no longer room for others. Life is about me and how I can fill this craving this hole, this desire I have for happiness, for not being bored, for constant stimulation. And if others exist, they exist to fill me and fill that need that I have. No one actually says that. Some people do. But if you think about so many relationships, maybe you think about relationships in your own, own life, that's how they've been. They're really about each kind of feeding off the other. Whereas born of that encounter with Christ, you're able to actually give yourself and be a gift and to love the way we are loved first by our Heavenly Father, by the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Father continues. I love this portion. I'm going to read it out slowly. And I think it's a beautiful prayer for us to listen to these words from the successor of St. Peter, the Vicar of Christ. I invite all Christians everywhere, so right here, at this very moment, to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, or at least an openness to letting him encounter them. I ask all of you to do this unfailingly each day. No one should think that this invitation is not meant for him or for her. No one is excluded from the joy brought by the Lord. The Lord does not disappoint those who take this risk. And whenever we take a step towards Jesus, towards rights, towards conversion, 
towards beginning again, towards change, we come to realize that He is already there waiting for us with open arms. Now is the time to say to Jesus, I have let myself be deceived in a thousand ways. I have shunned your love, yet here I am once more to renew my covenant with you. I need you. Save me once again, Lord. Take me once more into your redeeming embrace. How good it feels to come back to him whenever we are lost. So every day to renew that sense of the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and not just alive somewhere there, but alive and present in every circumstance, in everything that's going on from getting up and going to class and sitting six feet apart from everyone else, He's in there. He's got more than six feet. He can be there even if there's no six feet. He'll be there. Or going to Zoom. I don't know. Do you all use Zoom? What do you use for classes? Zoom? Right? Whoa, go China. Um, it's, a, it's a Chinese app. There's a whole joke about that. Forget it. There's some memes. Um, in all of those things, we're just stressing out about, about classes. I'm actually taking classes myself for canon law, and I was just before I came here sitting at Epps Bridge at, at Jittery Joe's and, and, and like figuring out like what am I supposed to sign up for? They, no, no one tells me what to do. Uh, I need, need hand-holding. But even in that, in everything, and all the other, I mean, that's, those are silly things, the real stuff, he's there. And he's waiting always to, to reveal more of the love of the heart of the Father in every circumstance. So every day, every day when you wake up, it's like, Lord, I have this day now that we can live together. Just as when you're getting up and you've got maybe a trip planned with friends or you're going hiking or you've got just, you know, looking forward to seeing somebody. It's like, I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen when I am with someone that I love, I care about. We have that opportunity every day, no matter what's going on, no matter what's going on with the Lord. And it's from that, that sense of the Lord's closeness and presence that we get the whole idea of mission, the whole idea of mission. Mission is basically Christ alive in us and Christ, because he's alive in us, he can't be contained. It, he pushes us out. It's, it's like winning the lottery. Well, if you win the lottery, you probably don't want to tell everybody because you'll suddenly find a whole bunch of friends that you didn't know and relatives. But when something awesome happens to you, you want to tell everybody. That's just the nature of goodness. It's the nature of goodness. Goodness tends to spread. Every authentic experience of truth and goodness seeks by its very nature to grow within us and anyone who has experienced any kind of a freedom. And you can think in your life where things suddenly fell together. Maybe, maybe it was in confession. Maybe it was on a retreat. Maybe it was a relationship where there was strain and now suddenly you've come to a point of healing. Maybe you have healing in different areas of your life. Maybe suddenly what you want to do becomes clear. And it's like, wow, things, again, to use that, that image, suddenly become, grow in color. And you want to share that. And that's simply, it's very simple. Evangelization is sharing the love, the good news that we have experienced, small ways and big ways, with others, because life with Jesus Christ is the best possible life doesn't mean that our lives are picture perfect and can be put on social media and there are no flaws and everything is airbrushed out. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. 
It's kind of the opposite. Our lives are more authentic. They're messy, but the Lord is not afraid of our messiness. He actually wants to come into that. And it's through the messiness that actually we connect to Him that He comes into us. When we, you know, we, we say we dress up, maybe not nowadays, but you dress up and come to church and you kind of put on a facade. No, that, that, that never works. It's always just the real stuff, the place that you really don't want anyone else to know. That's especially where He wants to come encounter heal, renew, bring new life, and fill us with joy that then comes from here and then goes out, that goes out. The gospel, as St. Paul says, the love of Christ compels us, urges us on. He goes on to 2 Corinthians 5.14, because one has died, all have died, and so that, that we have new life now because of that death. And as he says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel because it's just something that is like this internal pressure, right? The gospel offers us a chance to live life on a higher plane with greater intensity. Life grows by being given away. We think again in terms of what makes us happy, it's by getting things, by getting things, whether it be things, Apple, like the computer, the fruit maybe as well, you know, I don't know. Um, it could be by getting people, relationships, getting my degree, getting my job, all of those things. Yeah, I mean, those things are not bad. But every one of those things are opportunities for us to become a gift to others in love. Because how does God love us? He loves us freely and gives himself to us. He gives himself to us. And so we who are loved in that way we love by giving ourselves away. One beautiful way in which that happens is in the sacrament of marriage. That's what the love of man and woman is oriented to, is becoming a gift for others. Christ is a gift for us, and we, every one of us, and no matter what we're called to do in our life, are called to be gifts to others in some way or form. How does Christ come to us? He comes to us through the church, and the church First and foremost is those who have encountered him, who have been saved by him, who have been healed by him, and who are filled with this joy. Not perfect. It's not like, you know, bright smiles with pearly whites, like, you know, artificial. But it's knowing, knowing that I'm loved. Knowing that I am known to the depth of my core. Knowing that I am, no matter what happens, a beloved son, a beloved daughter, of a Father who loves me so much. And it's in this community, the church, that we encounter the risen Christ. With me so far? Yeah? Okay. So, a missionary is someone who has been loved by Christ, whose life is now different because Christ is alive and has come to her or to him. So who is called to be a missionary? Everybody, all the baptized, all the baptized. It is not that we have specialists who are missionaries and the rest of us sort of get to do our own thing. Now, there are people who are called to do mission full-time, be priests or religious or lay people, you know, people involved like in life teen missions or in focus missionaries, all those kinds of things. But what are you studying? What's your name? Brianna, what are you saying, Brianna? Health promotion. Health promotion. So what do you hope to do with that? 
like a, a physician assistant. So a physician assistant, so you'll be working with physicians in some way. That is a mission territory, right? Because you, you're a member of the church, you're baptized, you are a little, little piece, a little member, a little cell of the body of Christ. And when you go to work or you go to an internship, you're Christ's presence there because Christ is alive in you. Right? So, Pope Francis teaches us, every, no, no, you don't need actually a huge amount of theological training to just basically be able to share good news. If you receive good news, you don't say, oh, I need to take a course in how I share this good news before I tell mom or dad or my roommate or my best friend or whatever. Right? So at that basic level, each of us can say, this is how... Jesus Christ is alive in my life. It doesn't have to be spectacular. Like, you know, we think we've got to put on some kind of like show or, or testimony that's really, really like powerful. Like I was this drug addict and now like my life is the other way around. And that might be true for some people, which is great. Maybe I've lived a pretty fairly staid, you know, ordinary life, but inside I've struggled with things and the Lord has helped me and I know he's real. In small ways, we all know that to be true. And big ways. A missionary is simply being able to share that in a way that's appropriate, right? Not like, you know, always have like a Bible quote on your, on your bag or something like, you know, be branded. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way, okay? But there's some things that, that sort of are basics, that are basics for a baptized Christian, but someone who's truly come into with Jesus, right? First is, we all have to be converted. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? It means that we seriously want our life to be in conformity with the life that Christ tells us is the best kind of life, a moral life, right? So a life of virtue, not a life of dissipation and of vice. So life that looks and attempts and moves in the direction of looking like the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourning for the sins of the world, seeking peace, being pure of heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So converted. doesn't mean that we're now perfect, that we don't mess up, that we don't sin, but we are striving, we're striving for holiness a converted heart. Know that there's no, there's no sense in which we try and lead a double life. It's like I've got my church life on Sunday, and then I have a life that shows up on Broad Street on Friday, maybe. Um, and then I have a life that shows up in a different way with a different group of friends. And we all, in a sense, we do that. We have different faces, different facades that we put on with different groups of people, which is understandable. Like, you know, we behave in a certain way in class, we behave in a certain way, at least above the waist in Zoom calls, right? You could be in your pajamas and like in a nice, nice shirt on top, right? Um, that's, that's fine at the external level. But converted life means I want Jesus to be fully alive in me and want my life to look more and more like his life, a life that is given as a gift for others. And so that means if it needs particular sins that I may be struggling with, that I will, go, I will, I will work on that. I will ask for help. I will, I will seek God's grace. So first one is a converted life. The other is an interior life. An interior life. All right? 
very simple definition of interior life is what's going on when I am not with anybody and I'm not talking to anybody, I'm not texting anybody, I don't have my earbuds in, um, it's just me. We're still, I am still there, and there's always something going on. Now, I know guys, the, the, the psychologists tell us that we're actually able to think of nothing. Like, there are times where we're just, like, zoned out, and there's, like, nothing going on, and it's true. It's like, I'm just zoned out right now. And, and girls especially listen to that. It's like, that's just not possible. Like, there's always stuff going on, right? But there's this internal conversation and dialogue that we always have with ourselves, always, in some way or another, right? That's, the inter- that's, the, that's our life of the Spirit. That's what's going on inside my I, me, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm desiring, all of that. Interior life means that in that space, there's a conversation with another. That other is God. So the goal of the interior life is to always have, in a sense, that sense of God's presence and the ability to talk and to listen and hear Him. That's the interior life. So we call it a life of prayer. We call it a life of meditation. But it's a sense that I'm not just by myself. I know that I am in a relationship and that God, whom I love so much and who loves me more than I can imagine, always wants to be in that conscious contact with me. And so interior life means a life that is rooted in prayer. And if you don't pray at certain times, you don't really pray. St. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, but that means we need to have disciplined times to set aside, to talk to God, and to be quiet and be silent and to listen to Him, and to listen to Him. So today is the feast day of St. Therese, right? St. Therese of Lisieux. Have you all heard of her? Yeah? You know, she was a Carmelite nun in northern France, lived for 24 years, died of tuberculosis, a very, very painful death. Basically, your, your, you know, your lungs fill up with fluid and blood, and you basically choke on that and asphyxiate on that, and they had no cure for it. That was incredibly painful. But she is also a patron saint of missionaries. She never went anywhere. And when she was a little girl, they traveled a bit, and like, she went to Rome. But she didn't like go like St. Francis Xavier to India and to China. But how is she the patron saint of missionaries? Because in contemplation, that is, in focusing on that relationship with God, she felt this call to be love present in the heart of the church. And that internal connection to God and dependence on God and conversation with God is more powerful than anything that we do externally. And so missionary life is one that is fed by prayer, that is fed by these times of intimacy with the Lord. If we don't have that, when we're just like doing stuff on our own steam, and at some point it runs out, and we're like, crash and burn. Interior life, very important. So life of conversion, of growth and moral virtue, life of prayer. The third thing would be um, being able to know what kinds of charisms I have. Have you all heard of charisms? Have you heard the word? Yes? Some people have. So the word means, it comes from the New Testament, is means gift. Gift. St. Thomas the Aquinas 
one of the great theologians of the church, calls it a gift freely given. Gratia gratis data. That means grace. Grace is simply God's life, a free gift, freely given for the sake of others. For the sake of others, right? We receive the grace of the Holy Spirit when we're baptized. We call it sanctifying grace. We receive that in a sevenfold form that if you've gone through confirmation class, you probably had to memorize the sevenfold gift of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, understanding. Okay, that's fine. Um, what those graces do of the Holy Spirit, they make us more like Christ. But graces freely given, or the charisms, are particular graces, particular stable attributes given as by the Holy Spirit for the sake of others, for the sake of others, building up others. So that, remember, the Christian life is not a life just for me. It's like God loves me and I'm going to like take it and hoard it. It's everything is given so that I can be Christ and His presence to others around me in whatever way the Lord is calling me. And so, charisms are given freely by the Holy Spirit. The teaching of the church is everyone, the baptized, receive them. And when our faith matures, when we have that intentional relationship with the Lord and we truly want to discern what He wants of my life, then we realize we've also been given certain gifts, spiritual gifts, the charisms. We have some lists of them. The New Testament gives us some lists. In Romans 12, he, he, St. Paul lists the gift of prophecy, of serving, of teaching, exhorting, contributing, that is, being, being like, you know, the benefactor, money, um, in giving aid or leadership or administration. You don't think of administration as a spiritual gift, but without that, mission doesn't happen. Someone needs to be making all the logistical stuff, right? Um, acts of mercy. There's another list that talks about knowledge and faith as a particular kind of gift, a gift of healing, gift of miracles, discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation. Um, others he talks about as apostles or evangelists and pastors and teachers. Everything that is given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so, for every baptized, I think, it's something we don't really talk about too much in the church. That if we truly want to say, okay, where's the Holy Spirit? call am I supposed to do in this relationship with Christ and to serve him, to love him, and to share his love with others in whatever path that I'm doing, whether it be in a secular profession, maybe I'm thinking about priesthood or religious life, maybe, you know, I, maybe I, at some point I want to be a mother or father of a family um, and give my life away and have my own family. In what ways does the Holy Spirit want me to build up the body of Christ? And so discerning one's charisms is, is, a, is a good way. And there's, there's different ways to do that. There are some tools that are available. There are different groups that teach us how to discern that. That maybe I have a charism of teaching. Or maybe I have a charism of service to the poor. Or maybe I have a charism of administration. Maybe I have a series of them. Maybe I'm called to lead small groups. Maybe I'm always hanging out with those who are not in the church. I'm hanging out with those secular crazy people and I just, that's where I end up, that's where I end up. Maybe I have a charism of evangelism, that is to be not with those who are on the inside, but those who are outside, and be God's presence and Christ's presence in that way. Maybe I have a gift of supernatural faith, not in the virtue of faith, but this gift that, leave, that lives in radical poverty and surrender 
and trust in God so that others can be built up. So there's all kinds of different ways. And when we have a sense of discernment, then we know, okay, this is how the Holy Spirit, this is what He's given me, and so that helps me then say, this is how He wants me to be used for the building up of the body. And the great thing about a charism is, it's not something that like, we have to like, struggle with. It's, if it's given, we sort of naturally tend that way. We naturally tend that way. We are kind of pushed that way. I hang out with the crazy seculars, people, whatever it might be, or I, I, you know, I, I, I'm always the one who people come to is like, help me, please, in this class. I don't know what's going on. You have a way of actually putting everything together. Um, maybe you're gifted with your hands and you have a, a charism of craftsmanship, of, of building things that are beautiful, all kinds of things. But discernment of charisms helps us understand what our missionary path might look like. With me? Yeah? Okay. Last. We think of evangelization. The word means good news. Evangelion means good news. Um, and evangelization is simply sharing good news. Sometimes people think of like, you know, I think at UGA that it happens, there's always some group of some kind of fundamentalist that tends to get invited um, and who stand in the free speech area and will yell at people like, you know, you are a sorority and you are a fill-in-the-blank, right? Or like, you're going to hell. I, mean, I remember that when I was, I went to USC and, um, go Gamecocks, sorry. Um, they, like, there's this group there and the first time I encountered, I was like livid and I was trying to get into this conversation with them and they were like, you're a Catholic, you're going to hell. And I'm like, who does this actually help, right? Who does, and all it does, it sort of riles things up, and everyone's like, oh, that's what Christianity's about, right? So we all know that there's ways in which we cannot, that ways in which we should not evangelize, because it's not good news. It's not good news, right? The task of bringing someone into relationship with the Lord happens in an organic way, and it happens always in relationship. So if you look at the way Jesus calls his 12 apostles, you know, he chooses them, but then he goes away and spends time with them. He spends three years just being with them and teaching them. The same with the other women, the women who follow him. You know, you've got these women who follow Jesus, Mary of Magdala, Joanna, others who are named. Everyone, there's this sense of friendship and relationship, and spending time. It's in that context that evangelization happens. Evangelization is not about, oh, I'm going to go and make him or her a project, and then they're going to, like, you know, I'll have, like, a little notch in my belt or something like that, I don't know. But it's because I love, I truly love and care about this person that I actually want to get to know them. And in that context... They want to get to know me, and if they get to know me, if I'm a missionary, then Jesus is very much a part of who I am. That my life cannot make sense without reference to him. And so discerning in a particular way, what is an appropriate way to talk about that? And there will be ways. The Lord will put opportunities where it will be like, this is the time you can actually be a little more explicit and talk. And it's always this accompaniment and path. And there's no one clear way. There's no plug-and-play formula. It's always about discernment, and that requires struggle against sin, 
conversion, reliance on the gifts God has given us, and prayer, constant dialogue with the Lord. We encounter, encounter people to dialogue with them, to talk with them, to truly care about them. Right? It's uh, something we can use right now. If you think about the political discourse of our country, we don't talk to each other. We yell at each other right? and talk past each other and just talk to our own teams. And that is, that's not what Christian life looks like ever. Christianity is looking at the other, no matter who he or she is, no matter what they're living, how they're living, with the lens, the eyes of Jesus Christ, who died for them, who spilled his precious blood for them, who loves them. You always see the person. You don't see just one aspect or another, right? This thing, their identity, or how, what label they're using, none of that. Always go to the heart. Go to the heart of the person. Okay. Um, what are some things that I can do right now? I think one very simple thing is to just think about my own testimony. Right? It, could, it could be in different ways. It could be very diffuse and generalized that I grew up in the church and you know, I was confirmed and I was involved in the youth group and, you know, and, and, and this is how sort of this gradual deepening way I have grown to love the Lord and I know that he loves me. It could be something happened that I was away and then I encountered him in this person, this friendship, this retreat, whatever. My life was like this and he very powerfully made his presence known, whatever it is. But we can think of our testimony and, and, and put it in words, in, 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 a, in a short story. And it's something good to have, not as a sales pitch, but as when people ask you or talk to you, you know you have words with which to articulate this is why life with Jesus Christ for me is so beautiful. It's not perfect. I struggle. But this is why it makes sense to me. Nothing is... It's, it's very powerful. Hearing genuine testimonies is very powerful. Because stories... We love hearing stories, and that's what Jesus does. Like, I mean, he always tells stories. God, when he speaks to us and gives us his word, doesn't give us a philosophical treatise. He gives us stories. The Bible. That's a whole bunch of stories, some, some of them pretty bizarre, right? Okay. So what is my story, my testimony? The other is an actual, genuine commitment to prayer every day, every day. Intentional time spent with the Lord. We can do that. None of us forgets to eat. None of us forgets to eat because if we do, our bodies tell us, sometimes loudly enough that even a neighbor six feet away can hear it. But we do forget to pray because of sin. We don't feel the need, the sense of God right away. And the thing is, when we go into prayer, it seems boring. Um, our mind is distracted. We're like, oh, you know, all I'm doing is like fighting against distraction. Why should I do that? We persevere. We learn how to pray and grow in that time of silence. A commitment to prayer. Put it in your phone. At this time, based on my calendar, I will spend 15 minutes in quiet. The easiest thing to do is do a meditation on the day's scripture for Mass, which you can get on any number of apps. And just meditate and be attentive to how the Holy Spirit speaks. He does anytime we prayerfully approach Him. It's called Lexio Divina, divine reading. Right? So a commitment to prayer. Something, if you don't have a routine of daily prayer, something you can commit to. I invite you to commit to right now. The third thing is learn, articulate, in some way, the basic message that's known as the kerygma. 
Have you heard of that term? The the word comes from the word for herald, like a herald, a a guy who goes and proclaims the good news. He's like the messenger of the king with a trumpet who's saying, good news, the king has won, he is coming, war is over, you are free. That guy is called the kerux, the herald, and the message that he proclaims is the kerygma, the message of the king's victory. And we are all recipients of the message of the king's victory, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. He is alive. And for our sins, it's become like a formula in our culture. But what you can talk about is he died so that the fulfillment of every desire of our heart, everything that we seek for, finds its, its fulfillment in him. There's different ways we can come up with a message of kerygma that conforms to what the church teaches, but is also relevant to what people need to hear. Okay, so those are three things we can do. The spreading of the gospel is for everybody because the church exists in order to evangelize, in order to spread the gospel. That is why she is here. That is why Christ told the apostles, go and baptize all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And then he promised us that he will be with us. Lo, behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Our purpose in whatever path we're called is to truly be that presence of Jesus Christ alive alive. So one of, the, one of the realities is the body of Christ is divided, right? So we've got the Roman Catholic Church, and you've got who's, who's next door? I mean, I saw a Church of Christ over there. I know Hillel, the Jew, Jewish folks are around the corner somewhere. I mean, like right here, we've got all of these signs of division, right? Um, and so on basic things, especially with Christians, we agree. How do you know discernment and prayer? sermon and prayer is sort of the general answer. But the, the, there's, there's someone who said that nothing is quite as irrelevant as an answer to a question that someone hasn't asked. Right? So, you know, like for instance, you grew up, go, if you grew up in, in the church and went to like religious ed classes and you had to learn all this information about like, you know, the things they were telling you in your books and you were just like, I'm tired and I want to go home and I'm hungry and none of this has anything to do with my life. Right? Um, but if it's talking about your life and someone is saying, these, what he's saying or she's saying really connects to what I need to hear right now, then you're actually going to listen, right? So it's being attentive to saying, is this question coming from, is it true curiosity that they really want to know? Or is it simply they want to have you say something so then they can produce the answer like there? Now, there, there can be some fruit in that if you're very confident in like, especially with Protestant brothers and sisters, if you're confident and have a knowledge of the doctrine of the church, that kind of dialogue can be very fruitful because it leads to truth. It leads to truth. But it's discernment of what is it that they're actually seeking. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, and so I think with those who are committed to um, another, another Christian tradition, you can go up to a certain point. There can be mutual respect. Uh, beyond that, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to see where they're, where they're being called. Yeah?